At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the Grow Your Own Food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Kristen Parsons of Modify Concepts to talk about her experience with yard design. Kristen is a native Texan, went to college in Kansas, and ended up in Arizona in 2004. She's been gardening, raising chickens, planting fruit trees, and constructing buildings ever since. Kristen is an architect and an interior designer and completed her permaculture design course last fall. She lives on a half-acre property with her husband, two dogs, 10 chickens, a Jersey cow, and over 75 fruit trees. She works part-time in an architecture firm and started Modify Concepts in 2015 to provide design consultation for architecture, interiors, and permaculture. Welcome to the show today, Kristen. It's a pleasure to be part of your podcast, Greg. (laughs) Thank you. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? Well, it's never a direct path, is it? It is not. That's why I asked this question. (laughs) It's always a curious one, though. It is. And no matter what the path is, even if it's undefined, the important thing is that you're following your heart. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that's really what led me to designing not only the built environment, Mm -hmm. but working with nature. I became a LEED AP back in 2006. Uh, You're going to have to say what LEED is. That's true. It's Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design. Uh So in the architecture world, that talks about building sustainable buildings Mm. and just being mindful of the fact that, yes, the built environment is a necessary thing, uh-huh. but that doesn't mean that we can just go around willy-nilly doing whatever we please without consequences. Right. And so let's think about how we can address this in a more respectful way towards nature. Ah, oh, very good. And so that... 2006, I think you were at 2006 and you got your lead AP? Yes, I got my lead AP in 2006. I was practicing architecture at that point. Uh And also, um, I went to school for interior design. So I got licensed in interior design, but something was still tugging at me. Uh Because I really think that you can't have architecture without interiors. All right. You can't have any of this design without this beautiful earth that we live on. Right. Right. So let's think about the entire design process in including the interior, the exterior, and the yard. And so that's what led me to create Modify Concepts because I spent all of my free time when I wasn't working in the yard. In the yard. (laughs) (laughs) Heidi, my sweetie Heidi calls that farm time. It's like a warp, right? You go out into the yard and all of a sudden it's three hours later. Next thing you know, it's getting dark. 
Yep, exactly. Or I'm turning the lights on to work after dark. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so I think I just recognized that that was a passion of mine that I couldn't ignore mm-hmm. any longer. Got it. So you did, last fall, you did the Phoenix, uh, Grow Phoenix Permaculture Design Course. So tell us about what a permaculture design course is and your experience around that. Well, I was so excited to hear that it was going to be back in Phoenix uh-huh. because for a number of years it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And a few friends of mine went down to Tucson to participate. All right. And with my work schedule, that was never a possibility. So it was really awesome mm-hmm. that it came back to Phoenix. So as soon as I heard, I signed up like the first day. I was stoked because oh, nice. I'd been, I bought my first house here in 2009 and I was veggie gardening and I was growing fruit trees and I was involved. But I'm always looking for, am I doing this the right way? You know, in my brain always works design process. Mm -hmm. And the design process is kind of lovely in that it's universal. Yeah. It can apply to anything, really. And so I was thinking, I need to learn more about how I need to be applying the design process Uh. to see things through my permaculture eyes. Mm -hmm. So in a way, as the class progressed... It was kind of like going back to design school, you know, oh, right. learning about recognizing patterns and looking oh. at things in nature and learning the zones and just kind of getting comfortable with letting yourself go out in the yard right. and just be and pay attention to where the sun is mm-hmm. and where the microclimates are. And so being as I was always working... That was a luxury. Oh, right. So it was so exciting because I was learning Mm -hmm. and having fun (laughs) and learning stuff that I could go home and instantly apply and get that gratification at home that I was like, oh, look, I applied what I learned today in my own yard. Perfect. And so it just becomes infectious in that through the class, you're making connections, you're meeting people in the community that have the same passions Mm -hmm. that you are. And really just kind of building that community in a way that is going to last far beyond the class oh yeah yeah so a permaculture design course just for our listeners is Mm -hmm. a 72 hour certificate that you get and they're generally offered all over the world Mm -hmm. you can take a permaculture design course really wherever you are in fact if you're looking for a permaculture design course and i highly suggest if you're interested in this at all go do that type in the name of your city the biggest city closest to you and permaculture design course or PDC, and I'm sure something's going to come up. Um, you know, go. It, it's it's a course that's designed to change your life. Did that do that for you? One hundred percent, yes. Yeah, yeah. So if you're in Phoenix, if you're in the Phoenix area, we have the Grow Phoenix permaculture design course. You can shoot me an email, Greg at UrbanFarm.org, if you're interested in signing up for that. And it starts October first, usually every year. So. What is your definition of permaculture? That's a tricky one because I feel like it's such a broad topic. It's hard to wrangle, but Uh I think that for me personally, it is being mindful with your interactions with Uh nature, recognizing what nature wants Uh and enjoying the process of planting things and Uh. watching them grow and experiencing, watching where the water goes 
and and doing earthworks so that you can direct that water so that it's not wasted Perfect. and that it's working for you and you're not just shedding it off into the street. Right. Um, you know, holding on to that resource. Exactly. Maximizing the efficiency by working with nature instead of against it. Perfect. That's a great definition, by the way. So you created a master plan for your yard. Was that intimidating? It sounds pretty final. Can you explain the benefits of a master plan and is it final or is it flexible? I think that all projects can be intimidating if you think about it all at once. Oh yeah. So yes, what you're creating is a roadmap for right. the future of your space. Well, the thing about I think the thing about a master plan is that it's not written in rock. Cuz as we install them and develop them into reality, things change. You understand more things. Well, and you might decide that all of a sudden you want chickens. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so obviously the, the more you know up front about what your goals are long term, the more solid the master plan can be. Uh-huh. But it's never meant to be something that can't grow and change as your needs yeah. or your desires grow and change. Well, and as we learn more, I would guess. Oh, yes. Right. I did not think that I was going to have a cow when I originally did my yard plan. <laughs> All right. So you went there. Let's talk about it. You got your hubby. You got two dogs, yes. 10 chickens, yes. and a Jersey cow. Yes. So how how the Jersey cow happen? Well, I think that it's a natural progression of knowing where my food comes from. And I love cheese. Uh-huh. And so I wanted to also see the benefits of having the interconnected systems, which goes back to one of those permaculture principles. Uh-huh. Things support each other. So the cow provides manure, which I can let bake out, and uh-huh. then that will build my soil, which right. will in turn feed my plants. Uh-huh. And so it's all a cycle. And I thought the chickens are great. They've been a blast. Oh, you yeah. Know, like, what's the next level? And I initially thought about goats, just because they're adorable, and I love goat cheese. Oh, yes. And my husband said, I don't like goat milk. I like cow milk. Cow milk. Oh. So there you so go. So the, the Jersey cow <laughs> showed up because of your hubby. <laughs> well, I mean, it was going to be some sort of livestock. Right. <laughs> he just had his input, and I took it to heart. Oh, very good. Fantastic. So where do you find a Jersey cow? <laughs> Well, I did a lot of research, just like I did before I got the chickens, Uh and I met different people that raised or sold or rescued cows from dairies, Uh and so I met a lovely gal out in Whitman Uh who specializes, that is in, oh, sorry, (laughs) that is in Arizona. That's in Arizona. Whitman, Arizona, Uh and she kind of specializes in taking maybe some unruly dairy cows or other cows that need to be tamed and gets them ready to be family cows. Oh wow. Yeah. And so So this is where this She one... was very patient with all of my questions. Oh, very good. <laughs> and then this spring we made it happen. So Wow. Yeah, we've only had her for about 2 weeks. Oh wow. So brand new. Yes. Brand new in your landscape. Yes. And you have a half an acre, so that's a lot of that's in your backyard, right? Yes. So you got a, a big playpen for this Jersey cow. There What's was, your... Sorry, there was a lot of preparation that right. had to happen fence-wise right. to get ready because also I didn't want her trampling my young fruit trees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
and uh, you know creating a habitat that would work along with our existing farm and also fulfill her needs so. right so she's for milk mm -hmm. and do you have to milk her every day i will in june when she calves uh -huh. she is pregnant she's going to have a baby in june oh and then then we'll be working hard because she'll be giving six gallons of milk a day. And oh my gosh. The calf will probably only drink two or three uh -huh. gallons a day. So. so you're gonna have to milk her every day? Twice a day. Oh, twice a day. What's her name? Zoe. Zoe, so you have Zoe the Jersey cow in your backyard. I gotta come over and see this. By the way, Kristen's in the studio here. You're uh, one of my friends here in Phoenix. And, <laughs> and uh, so we're sitting here chatting in the studio. Um, so what are you going to do with three gallons of milk per day and for how long does she give milk well the milk production will vary uh -huh. over time and so i'm going to do all sorts of fun fun things i don't know when i'm going to do these fun fun <laughs> things between working and milking her twice a day a business and milking her twice a day it will be quite the adventure uh -huh. but i'd like to make ice cream oh and compound butters and all sorts of wonderful oh, nice. treats. Of course. And yeah. it gets obviously cheese. Oh yeah. Wow. <laughs> so what are you doing to feed Zoe? So right now Zoe is on a very special pregnancy diet uh -huh. uh, of Bermuda hay and grain. That uh -huh. is a specific mixture of different grains. Mm -hmm. I hope in the future of my farm plans to grow a lot of the fodder that she would eat uh -huh. and so trying to work on becoming a more sustainable closed system on our little farm right fantastic so jo zoe's gonna get pregnant or is she already pregnant she is already pregnant oh very good did you have a bull come in and visit no no in her previous home in whitman uh-huh she was artificially inseminated oh, oh very good with sexed semen which was a new thing that i didn't know existed really yes apparently she's gonna have a girl she's got a 90 percent chance of having a girl oh interesting mm -hmm. interesting okay and then what do you do with zoe's little girl well obviously we only have half an acre right so i can't keep all of zoe's calves although i think that they will be adorable yeah no kidding and so she will likely be for sale oh oh very good Fantastic. And how big is Zoe? Because you had originally talked about getting a miniature cow, right? That's true. When this all happened, uh, it was kind of funny story. I wanted the goat. And when my husband said that he didn't like goat milk, mm -hmm. he said, you know, what about a miniature cow? <laughs> he and was probably kidding, wasn't he? He was kidding. He, he was kidding. He didn't know they existed. <laughs> so, Oops. Jokes yeah. on him. Yeah. <laughs> so she's technically a mid-sized jersey. Mid-sized jersey. How tall does she stand? She's about 48 inches tall. So four feet. Four feet. Top of her head or top of her shoulders? It's her hip bone, her back hip bone. Whoa, 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 shoulders. Whoa, whoa, whoa. She's very square. Oh, no, the top of her back hip bone is four feet. Yes. So with her head, she's probably... She can peek over the block fence. <laughs> <laughs> It's very cute. A six foot, a six foot tall block fence. <laughs> no, I, I, the fence that she peeks over is not quite six feet not tall. Not quite six feet. 
How fun is that? You know, so you're the first guest I've had on that have talked about having a cow in their yard. <laughs> and especially in an urban cow. It's amazing how that conversation naturally occurs now in my life. It seems <laughs> like everyone wants to come see the cow. The cow. And so it's great because people want to come see the fruit trees and the right. chickens. Yep. You know, a couple of years back, we participated in the Tour de Coupes. Oh, nice. Cool. We had 400 people through our backyard. Uh-huh. And I think they would all come again to learn about Zoe. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. Wow. Cool. So there's so much information out there about growing things, about organic pest control, watering, fertilizing, feeding plants, growing plants, growing cows. How do our listeners know what is good information and what might not be such good information? Do you have some sense about that for us? Sure. I think that there's a lot of information out there, but one of the benefits that is untapped, I think, is community. And I think that's oh, something yeah. you're really capturing with this mm-hmm. podcast. If people yeah. are listening to this podcast, they're Yay! already getting a great source of information right there. Uh-huh. But, you know, don't be shy about asking for second opinions or people that have real experience because I think that's what we're all excited to share. Yeah. And so it's not going to be hard to find people that will tell you their own story yeah. about what you're going through. Yeah. And then you might make a new friend. Right. When I've noticed on Facebook, there's all kinds of, you know, here in the Phoenix metropolitan area, there's all kinds, there's a chicken, Maricopa County chicken mm-hmm. keepers, there's Jake oh, Mace's gardening. Yeah. So there's specific communities on Facebook that... The Fruit Growers Group, the Organic Gardening Group. And I noticed that there's people that are part of that group that are not necessarily in Phoenix either. There are people that that have similar growing zones or climates. but And it's amazing because I didn't think that someone from California would be commenting on my post on the... Phoenix Fruit Growers, but it's amazing how that brings people together. Oh, I know. Isn't that cool? Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So you design people's yards for them. Yes, I do. And why should we hire somebody to help us with our design for permaculture and lands- edible landscape, that kind of stuff? What What's the value in that? Well, I think that it can be a pretty daunting task, uh-huh. especially for someone who is new at this. Mm-hmm. And so to take the benefit of the community of people that have been doing this a while that want to help other people be successful. Uh It's a great resource to find somebody who enjoys doing this, who also grows their own food. So they know they've been there Uh and they just want to help you out with getting the layout and knowing where to plant what and just knowing the kind of design questions to ask. I mean, I've been involved with projects as little as a bathroom remodel. Oh, right. Or as big as a 14-story, 680,000-square-foot building. Oh, wow. And so through that design process, Uh I have learned questions to ask Mm -hmm. that aren't usually part of the general repertoire. Oh, right. So you have a level of expertise that... I don't have in doing this design that you kind of that you bring that to the table. Sure. Yeah, fantastic. I'm here to help. Cool. <laughs> Do your yard designs include things that aren't directly related to food? Of course. I mean, we have such a great climate. Uh-huh. And 
I think everybody loves to have beers on the patio uh, at yeah. some point. Glass of wine. Or, I'll okay, take the wine. Or wine. Or <laughs> lemonade for those oh, yeah, yeah. who don't there partake in alcohol. There you go. So, I mean, if you're going to be creating this amazing space, you're going to be wanting to be out there enjoying it. Enjoying so why it, not yeah. incorporate a seating area or an outdoor fireplace or a chicken coop? Or, uh, definitely a chicken or, coop. Or, or, or the list yeah. goes on. And, yeah, exactly. and everybody has different things that they enjoy yeah. about their space. And so that's something to take into account as part of any yard design. Mm-hmm. And, and something you want to think about because you don't want to plant something that is going to be huge and overshadow your pergola or, you know, you don't have to plan things like that ahead yeah. so that it'll all work out well in the end. Perfect. So here's a curious question. We always ask our listener for some questions, and this is one you gave me. What has been an example of a time that you didn't follow your own advice oh, no. and what you learned <laughs> from it? You gave me the question. I did. That makes it fair game. It's true. I will admit my own errors. <laughs> <laughs> I got to own them, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because me recognizing my own mistakes could help someone else avoid them. So that's why I have no shame in saying that. Uh, my sister is a great sport, and every time she would come to visit me from Texas, I'd say, we're going to build this. And so she helped me build some raised garden beds mm-hmm. that were 30 inches tall. Mm-hmm. And we filled it up with dirt and built it and planted it. And then as my yard design actually happened, I realized it was in the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> and so, Well, at least it was only a... One, yes, one bed, right? it was one bed. That's easy to move. But that was still a lot of shoveling. Oh, yes. So I had to shovel all the dirt out, yeah. move the wood bed, and put all the dirt back in. And even though it was a great exercise, yeah. it also taught me to follow my own advice about creating a master plan. Oh, yes. And yes, using it as a guide. What's your favorite thing to grow? Ooh. Apriums. Oh, I didn't I, even know they existed. <laughs> well, hold on. All right. All right. For our listeners that don't know, what is an aprium? An aprium is a cross between an apricot and a plum. Ah, Two right, thirds cool. apricot, uh-huh. one third plum. Oh, nice. And they are like candy. <laughs> wow. So it's the time of year now that they should be coming ripe. Do you have some on your trees? I do. I have... Oh, you should have seen her face when she said, I do. It was like this pure joy. I check like, on them every day. <laughs> oh, nice. So they're just starting to blush. Uh-huh. They're planted on the east side of my house. Oh, yes, yes. And so luckily they've been protected from the wind that we've been having. Oh, yes, yeah. It was pretty brutal the past couple of weeks. And so, yes, I'm very excited about the apriums. Uh, so excited that after the tree I have now is in its fourth year in the ground. Uh-huh. And I just planted two more. Oh, nice. Because <laughs> I like them so much. Fantastic. Fantastic. So extra produce, do you have any and what do you do with it? Mm. There's a lot that I don't end up with extra. Uh huh. The apricots, the apriums, the peaches. <laughs> we just, oh my gosh, whatever we eat fresh. I don't even make preserves with a lot of it just because they're so delicious. Yeah. They don't last. I, I do end up with some extra citrus, as a lot of people do in Phoenix. Yeah. Um, I freeze the juice. I can the juice. I bake a lot, which is... Nice. So you have structures you have structures set up to help process it? Yes, I, I use as much as I can. Yeah. 
and then I'm happy to share the rest. Yeah. And it's really nice to be able to share with people that aren't growing their own yet. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Can I be your friend when <laughs> uh, when Zoe starts yes. milking? Yeah. Of course. I mean, fresh. And, 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 you know, actually, you know, one of the things I'm really excited to try is making butter. I would love to make fresh butter. So um, I would take that project on and figure it out once she start, you know, once she start milking her. That could be fun. We could have a making your own butter class. <laughs> All right. Sold. Sold. All right. I'm going to shift on you a little bit here. I want you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure <laughs> and what you might have learned from it. Well, I think that failing it has so many negative connotations. Or not. But really, that's how you learn. Exactly. And so... Coming from Kansas, where farming is everywhere, mm-hmm. where I went to college, and and you, there's there's so much good soil there right. already. Uh-huh. Moving to the desert was quite a shock. <laughs> yeah, and, thank. Yes, and so after failing at gardening here for the first couple of years, mm-hmm. I signed up for some classes. Oh, nice! Oh, fantastic! <laughs> this is some of the most liberating stuff that I learned yeah. was that it's okay to kill a plant. Yes, right. it's not the best, but well, it's how you're learning what that plant needs right. in this environment. And so I think that while I share a lot of the same failures that a lot of desert gardeners do in the beginning, uh-huh. that makes having a successful garden even that more sweet. Yeah. Perfect. So what do you consider your biggest success? Oh, I think my biggest success is that my husband is now interested in growing fruit trees. (laughs) (laughs) You got him enrolled. Yay. He used to say, oh, that's your hobby or, oh, these are your plants. And when he started saying, would you, we don't drink coffee in the morning, but he would say, would you like to get a drink and we'll walk the yard in the morning and look at what's new and different and... Wow. Yeah, he got to pick out some trees, and so... How cool is that? That, for me, is probably the best thing ever. (laughs) Cool. What drives you? Passion. You have to be passionate about what you're doing. Uh And I really think that if you don't have drive for something, it will be a temporary thing. Yeah. And the beauty of design and permaculture and nature is that it never gets boring. Mm-hmm. It is always changing. Oh, yeah. it, there's always, and it's impossible to know everything. And so you're always learning and you're always growing and changing and, and having new successes. Uh-huh. And so I think that that ha- embracing that process and that is, is what keeps me going. Yay. Cool. So I'm all about education and I have to know, is there a one book that has significantly impacted you in this arena? It's hard to pick just one. I know, but if you got two, that's good too. (laughs) Well, I, I have to say that culture and horticulture 
by Wolf Storl and was oh. a really great one. It's a it's from the seventies originally. I've not heard of that one before. Oh, it's a good culture one. and horticulture. Sure. Huh? It talks a lot more about the the philosophy and how organic gardening got its start. Uh-huh. It gives a good history of all that kind of stuff, but. In a way, I think that's it's beneficial because it talks about all the interconnectedness and how in the beginning of gardening, it was all verbal, you know, and, and a, lot oh, right. of, a lot of knowledge was all passed down mm-hmm. that way. And there were little sayings that you hear about planting when the moon is full or, you mm-hmm. know, things like that. And it kind of gives you the history which is cool to learn right. and teaches you about how that all started and how we've got away from it. And now it's time to come back to some of it. I mean, each to each their own, right. but really talks about mindfulness in gardening. Nice. What one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Ooh. Don't be afraid. Being afraid gets you in your own way uh-huh. of success. And if you're scared to try planting something new or you've heard that something doesn't grow here or that, you know, chickens are this or, you know what I mean? You hear all these things uh-huh. that could create fear, but you have to set that aside and, and embrace your own journey and, and don't be scared because when you try stuff, great things can happen. <laughs> How cool, how cool, how cool, cool, cool. So thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Christian. It's been a treat getting to chat. It really has been a blast, Greg. Thanks. You bet. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? Well, my email address for my LLC is Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-I-N, at modifyconcepts.com. I'm sure you can provide a link. I'm building a website. Yeah, perfect. Um, it's not done yet, so please bear with me. <laughs> but it's all good. Uh, in the meantime, I am here to help, so feel free to reach out. Reach out. So you're in the Phoenix metropolitan area. So if somebody wants help in you know the desert southwest, you're here and can help them. That's true. I do have direct experience with the desert southwest, growing lots of different types of fruit trees and raising livestock and and helping with yard designs through the benefit of the good old internet and my knowledge that I got from the PDC course. Uh I can help people even outside of that zone with how they can learn their own microclimates Uh and apply those permaculture principles to their own yards, kind of no matter where they are. Perfect. Fantastic. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. 
Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.